0: Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second episode with Valentino Megale for Future Hacker. Valentino, in in the first episode, you just covered so, so many interesting topics. So, you know, let's try to get a little more specific on the things, you know, you were talking about. So my first question to you is in which phase you believe we are from getting the use of those new technologies proven and and whichever approvals and bureaucracies are needed, to this be already included, like officially, you know, being covered by health plan or being offered by the hospitals or whichever ways we have to go, will this going to be considered like an alternative medicine or complement, you know, whatever it's going to be. How far are we from, from this world?
1: Hello, Maria, and hello, everyone. Yes, sure. I think that we are definitely in the golden age of this phase because technology is today usable, is affordable, is performant enough to bring great scenarios and content to the final users. And we have already great companies around the world collecting huge investments, which is a sign of the maturity also of this of this sector, of this industry and market. But especially, we have content that already managed to collect a huge amount of data, clinical data, showing the efficiency and the efficacy of this kind of virtual reality content as it comes for healthcare outcomes and healthcare impact. We have some contents like recently EaseRx by Applied VR in the U.S., that has been approved by the FDA, which is one of the first content in virtual reality approved by the FDA for the treatment of pain, low back pain, and that's great because this is something that can be prescribed by doctors to final users. So just imagine the doctor prescribing you a virtual reality scenario, that's amazing. We have already the first games on tablet, not yet on virtual reality, that has been uh, approved by the FDA to be prescribed for the treatment of ADHD. So there is real impact coming from digital content, from bits. We are in the golden age because now we are, we we are now just building the framework to sustainably use virtual reality in the healthcare sector. Technology is not a problem, maybe. There are some issues just like, you know, the logistics, okay? Virtual reality headsets would be great if they were sometimes more little, basically.
0: If they were felt more natural, right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: I did interview uh, this person that was in specialized for entertainment. And he said that depending on the headset you have, the person can stay longer than four minutes and they already feel like taking it out, right? So, But, you know, I, I'm sure we are getting there. Yeah.
1: Weight and dimension could be something that deserves to be refined, but we are in the, in the right direction and we are in the right moment. We are not here to wait years and years and years because we have years behind us. Now it's time to make it impact. So we are in a good moment for that.
0: So, and being a little more provocative here, and that's just, you know, some thoughts that occurred to me. So first, the first one is, I love that you you talk about leverage the power of the mind. And, you know, in the article you shared with me, they talk about this body illusion. So, you know, making the mind believe that it's, it's real. So you have a real response to that. Could we be comparing the experience of the process of being cured by faith?
1: So probably there are many interactions between researchers uh, exploring, you know, the so-called sense of awe. There is a great research about that, the sense of awe, which is linked to spiritual experiences, which is linked to, I don't know, even psychedelics. This is the golden age of psychedelics right now, again, after the 60s and 70s, but we have now objective research about that. Probably virtual reality is a new tool enabling us to explore what is the role of our brain and mind in the healing process. This is a microscope because we have now the opportunity to basically expose our mind and our brain to specific conditions. controlled conditions and standard conditions and we can study you know with all the sensors integrated in the headset or outside the headset we can have biofeedback we can have neurofeedback and we can study in real time what is the reaction of the individual to those synthetic but also realistic environment so from my from my perspective virtual reality is the new microscope for our mind so we can use that to really get deeper in how our brain works and having data in return is amazing because virtual reality is not only a projector of content, but is a sensor. This is embedded in this tool. It cannot work properly without the sensing part. It should collect data about how we move to update the world and be realistic. So that's amazing. We now have a new microscope, I mean, a new tool to get deeper into our mind. And obviously, there are already some researchers showing how to combine virtual reality with psychedelics. For instance, how to use virtual reality to enhance the psychedelic experiences, which is also a very promising therapeutic field. Because it's all about making our brain more plastic. Neuroplasticity is a great part of our brain. It's the ability of our brain to change and adapt. This is Our brain is not static. It changes always. So virtual reality and psychedelics create a window of opportunity, a window of neuroplasticity, where with the help of a psychologist and a specialist, you can guide a person to heal from, you know, behavioral patterns that are destructive from addiction, from depression, and so on and so on. So this is exciting.
0: That's super exciting. I'm going to quote here this piece that I really liked. So the possible long-term goal is the reverse engineering of the psychosomatic processes instead of exploring the relationship between psychosocial and behavioral factors on bodily processes, which is what being been known, at least in my generation, like about all the psychosomatics that like we're, we're just adding things. And, and because of that, we're, our body's reacting according to that. Embodied medicine could do the opposite, like altering bodily processes to influence psychological and behavior factors. So, you know, we, we, we could even, in my understanding, not only be acting in the healing process, but also on the preventive side, right, of a preventive medicine.
1: Exactly. But also for the exploration of the self, which is something useful. Every one of us wants to explore identity, you know, community, sociality. He can use just a tool allowing to perceive everything. It's experience on the ground to collect information and experience. So it's not only therapeutic, but it's something more.
0: And, you know, it makes me wonder, so your vision of that, how would be the impact on the use of those heavy medications in the future? Because so many drugs are disabling even, right, somehow. Like, you know, there are so many heavy drugs that we have to take that, that are they are good for the pain, but they, there are so many other downsides to it, right, for the body. And do you think that this, the future could be, we could have a decrease in the use of heavy drugs? Do you see that as something, as a complement to it, And I'm wondering if you see the pharma industry as a possible partner to that and they are investing into that or more against it and they will be fighting, you know, the the lobby is going to be against it. You, You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's clear. And that's a great question. I can say from our experience with software series, we are collaborating with with different pharma companies. And what we can see is that in the last decade, pharma companies mature the vision of their own future as pharma and digital companies. As I said, therapy is not only providing drugs, it's uh, engineering the right context for the healing process which is not only in drug and bodily responses, but also the right setting and how patients experience that setting during the care pathway. So they understood that it is great for them to provide, I don't know, monitoring or tracking digital tools, ensuring patients are following good habits, healthy habits for their recovery pathway. This is something that is not possible to be done with drugs. You need to have a tracking tool. You can use virtual reality today to create a context useful, you know, to relax patients, be more collaborative with the doctors, reduce the administration of drugs, and basically enhancing their experience during the drug administration only around the, the drugs that are fundamental to their healing process. So pharma companies and generally the healthcare industry is expecting from digital technologies to be something complementing traditional treatments. Basically, something that should be integrated in a you know, wider treatments, wider protocol, not something that is going to replace because in sometimes specific drugs are needed, obviously, but you can use less to reduce the side effects and that would be great. You are going to reduce the side effects, optimize the drug administration and complete it with digital tools. So they, you know, we are collaborating with pharma companies. One of those pharma companies are using as a hashtag beyond the pill.
0: Oh, yes, that's true.
1: Pharma company using beyond the pill is just a symbolic thing.
0: <laughs> well, they, they, they have the vision for sure, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Future-proofing their businesses. So, you know, it's clear to me how, how those, you know, virtual spaces could be applied to, you know, hospitals. I absolutely love the idea of aiming at children, as your company is currently doing. There are so many, you know, harsh treatments when you talk about, you know, cancer and so many other things and disabilities. And, and it's very clear to me. But, you know, you mentioned that you are taking the, the critical environments concept to the extreme. So you're working in, you're involved in a VR project to promote mental health and social cohesion in space. Is that right? You know, I'm sure we could all, everybody that is listening could easily imagine, why it's needed (laughs) for mental health thanks of course to to the help of the all those sci-fi movies that we see you you know but i'd love to know how is this being currently explored you know in real life like what's what's the stage here you know wherever
1: we are we bring with ourselves the limits of our bodies and mind. so whatever there is in mind we have specific challenges like you know, individual and, and social challenges. And in the near future, we are going to play this game in new spaces, not only on Earth, but also in the space, so in the orbit, on the moon, and probably on Mars in the next few years. Obviously, in that case, where you are on Earth, you can be supported by psychologists, you can be supported by physicians, you can be supported by your own community of friends and family here on Earth. Sometimes even just with a phone call, with a video call, we saw that during the pandemic. But when you're going to space, the time delay during of the communication, which will be something very limiting. Just going to Mars, you will have 20 minutes or even more of delay in the communication. So you cannot rely on real time help and support even just psychological support. And obviously people will be exposed to an increasing amount of issues, physical, chemical, social isolation, sensory monotony, and so on. So obviously our mind will be put at pressure, under pressure. We are working with virtual reality in the hospitals that are very critical environments. Patients experience everyday social isolation. They are detached but their daily life. They are living in a sensory monotony, obviously, because not all the hospitals are amazing colored places, and they are not exactly places where we like to be. And, and this can be approached as an extreme space and as an extreme environment. So whatever we develop inside of the hospitals, we can use the hospitals as the proxy to tackle these challenges and these issues, human issues, in new environments. Not only from hospitals to space, but also from hospitals, you know, to prisons, to people displaced here around the earth, to war places, war zones, and so on. And obviously, you can use virtual reality also in space. In space, virtual reality can be used as a sort of remote and automated and portable psychologist. Just imagine astronauts wearing the headsets and experiencing specific environments useful to them, to find emotional balance, to manage risk, to manage conflicts, to manage behavioral anomalies. And this is something that is is being done right now here on Earth, especially in Trish, by the Trish, which is a translational research center based in Houston, but very horizontal in the US. And we are collaborating with some companies like Simiosis based in Florida, led by Christopher Stapleton. We are envisioning how to use virtual reality to provide healing content to users wherever they are, n- not only to individuals, but to communities around the world. So, basically, focusing on sociality and social cohesion, because this is something very important. It is a glue for our mental well being. And how to collect useful data to allow psychologists on Earth, wherever they are, to provide good support to these communities and individuals. Mm-hmm they are simiosis is working with people with aphasia so just imagine communities of patients that are unable to express themselves which is a great limit and creates great barriers and they are using virtual reality augmented reality to overcome these challenges we are using that in the hospitals to help patients go beyond the walls of the hospitals but these models Don't think about technology exactly, but just imagine the model of projecting content and collecting data can be something that can be used wherever a mind is, So obviously also in space. And we are working from many perspectives towards this direction.
0: You know what? I really love that you you brought that up because that was actually going to be my next question to you. The amount of data needed, right? I understand that you're currently in this phase of collecting data, but... I would guess that it would need like years of tracking extremely diverse groups of people. As you mentioned, you have the prisons and those communities that are living in specific conditions and their interactions, right? Then you need to analyze, you know, and all the work of, you know, machine learning and AI that will do. So I'm just wondering how many years of work are we talking about involving like how many people to make it something that would work, like would consider all the variables needed? And do you believe, and that's a question that I love, you know, do you believe that it's possible to successfully have an unbiased model or would bias just be a part of human nature that will have to just happen? You know, that that is, it will happen anyways, right? So what's your thought?
1: That's great. So for the amount of data today, we have the opportunity to, to collect really more and more data than in the past. It's not challenging to collect a lot of data. It's sometimes challenging to create a context to collect those data from you know from humans after the, the legitimate permissions and a regulatory approval. But today we can collect huge amount of data in some months or just a couple of years to have good and reliable models. So this is not the challenging part. The challenging part is just to, you know, start studies, fund studies to have great cohorts of patients or people or individuals that are open to the research and provide their data. So that, that is the, the bureaucracy, is the biggest limit respect to, to the technology. Regarding the bias, so this is a good question. I, I don't think that we can find a solution right now because you know technology is neutral, but how you use and how you design it, it's still human-made. And obviously, the error, the bias will always be present. What could be interesting is to create the right framework to discuss the bias, because the bias is something that you need to discuss just like an error in any kind of software. You need to provide the transparency to show how your system works. And you need to create the right environment where that bias can be discussed openly, openly. So inside of great corporations, inside of the regulatory and policy makers, inside of societies and any kind of space, this is something that should be discussed. Discussing that you can, you know, limit the bias. You cannot probably avoid it totally, but this is exactly like WeWorks. Every one of us is biased, but you can limit that through the discussion, through the open discussion. Wherever you create just a closed environment, the bias flourishes. So that the goal is to to provide transparency and, and open discussion about
0: it. That's a great answer. Okay, so, you know, I have a last question for you. That's a lie. I have many questions, but we're <laughs> getting out of time. So I have a last question for you. And it's regarding another project that I I understand that you're an advisor to it. So, you know, when usually... On our podcast, you know, we're always talking about innovation and technologies and how it's going to impact our future, like, you know, the way we operate. It's always critical to cover ethics and how we can make sure you're, you know, having a good way. So I'd love to know more about this XRSI initiative and, you know, how they're handling this matter.
1: sure. Sure. So during the, the last months, at the beginning of this year, I joined the XRSI initiative. So it's uh, the XR Safety Initiative, which is a global organization working with specialists around the world, started in the US, but now expanding really to, to Australia, to Europe and to many other countries. Basically, their goal is to promote, discuss a framework where to build a safe, ethical, and private XR innovation. Because, you know, XR is now in the golden age, we said it. Technology is available. We are now talking about the metaverse, a huge opportunities around there, many investments, but we cannot do the same mistakes as we did in the Web 2.0, with all the social media, social networks, everything that we know about privacy and malicious use of data. So it's now important to talk not only with big companies, Because we cannot rely on the sensibility of big companies. We cannot rely on the sensibility of final users. We need to talk with the regulators and policymakers and also politicians, you know, all the decision makers to discuss, recognize that XR is technology, which is a great opportunity, but also potentially harmful if not well used. And we need to develop countermeasures, obviously, to manage those risks and to promote sustainable innovation. Because we need to build an XR for the final user. We don't want to build a a centralized XR, which is going to collect data from communities, create tension, create division, just like the Web 2.0 made. So this is the goal. This is something that is, is done organizing events, talking with policymakers, inspiring new regulatory frameworks. Because in that case, both great companies and big providers and the end users will have a tool to use to discuss this technology. It is exactly the same problem as the biased code. We need to recognize there is this issue and we need to talk about it. We cannot do that without a framework, otherwise, it's the Wild West.
0: Great, Valentino. You know, it was awesome having you with us, super interesting topics. You know, I'm pretty sure that in the coming years, you're going to have so many news to share. So the doors are open for you here. Looking forward to hearing everything that is new on your side. And, you know, I'm going to list your final comments to the audience. It was a real great pleasure to have you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Maria. So thank you again, everyone listening us today. Uh, And first episode, my last idea is that, yeah, the metaverse is here. You know that, that the virtual reality is here. It's great to hear about these technologies today, not only as a sci-fi solution, but it's something that is probably part of our daily life. Some people are already using the technology every day. But from great opportunity comes great responsibility. This is obviously fundamental. It's important to maintain the control on technology because technology is a tool. And in the near future, all the technologies, not only virtual reality, but also the next one, other technologies like BCI, you know, brain-computer interfaces and so on, quantum computing and, and blockchain, all these technologies will put at risk our certainties. And when people have not certainties, they start to behave randomly. They start to do a lot of mistakes. So uh, it's important to always remember technology is a tool for us. We are not the product of technology, but technology is a product of us. So use these uncertainties to grow and to evolve wider perspectives about reality, identity, community, and so on, and not just as something that humiliates humanity. Because this this will be the contrast of the future between humiliation and evolution. You know, I think this from my perspective.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Valentino. And thanks everybody for listening.
1: Thank you again. Bye, Maria. Bye, Maria.
0: Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.